Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Aminder. I'm Alex, your host for today's episode. In this episode, we'll be covering papers published in May 2021 that rely on positron emission tomography imaging, or PET, to detect amyloid and tau pathology in the brain within the context of Alzheimer's disease. If you're interested in learning more about tau and amyloid-based detection, alternative PET tracers in AD research, or combining PET with different imaging modalities, stay tuned because we're about to jump right into these topics. Welcome to Aminder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. Just a quick note before we get started. At Aminder, we simply summarize paper abstracts and don't check the quality of the research being done or critically assess the methods being used. So be sure to take a look at the original papers if you want to learn more. Also, we now have a bibliography that you can find in the episode notes, listing all of the papers mentioned today and papers on topics that didn't make it into any of our other episodes. All right, let's get to it. We have 13 papers to cover today, six of which fall under the category of tau-based detection in the brain, five are amyloid-based detection, one combined tau and amyloid detection, and we'll end the episode off with one miscellaneous paper looking at the PET tracer TSPL. We'll begin with the first six papers specifically targeting tau pathology with PET. Let's take a look at the first paper in this group. This work is done by first author Song, last author Brendel, from Munich in Germany. The journal is Journal of Cerebral Blood Flow and Metabolism, and the title of their work is Binding Characteristic of 18FPI2620 Distinguish the Clinically Predicted Tau Isoform in Different Tauopathies by PET. The authors of this paper wanted to determine whether a novel tau PET tracer, 18FPI2620, can differentiate 3-4R and 4R tauopathies, which are different tau isoforms, using non-invasive reference tissue modeling. Various measures were used to compare tracer binding in cases of both tauopathies, including tracer delivery, efflux, standardized uptake value ratios, to name a few. Standardized uptake value ratios, or SUVR, is a term that will come up again in this episode, and it's simply a way of quantifying how much PET tracer is taken up by the brain tissue. Now, I won't go into all of their findings here, so definitely check out the full paper if you want to find out more, but they do note that 4R tau cases show higher tracer delivery, higher efflux, and lower SUVR when compared to 3-4R tauopathies. The author suggests that higher tracer clearance is indicative of less stable tracer binding in 4R tauopathies. Next up, we have paper number two, titled A Multi-Center Comparison of 18F Flirtasapir, 18F RO948, and 18F MK6240 tau PET tracers to detect a common target ROI for differential diagnosis. This work is published in the European Journal of Nuclear Medicine and Molecular Imaging, and the first author is Lucy, last author Hansen. This work seems to be mostly from Sweden, although we also see contributions from authors in Brazil, the US, and Canada too. Here, researchers aim to find comparable ROIs and cutoff values for three distinct tau PET tracers to effectively differentiate diagnosis of AD versus cognitively unimpaired or non-AD neurodegenerative disorders. Like mentioned in the title, the three tracers in particular 
were 18F Flortasapir, 18F RO948, and 18F MK6240. Over 1,700 participants underwent PET imaging using one of these three tracers, after which SEVR values were calculated across theory and data-driven regions of interest for each scan. Then, diagnostic performance of each tracer and respective ROI cutoffs were determined using various statistical analyses. The authors found comparable diagnostic performance and cutoffs between theory and data-driven ROIs, with the theory-defined temporal meta-ROI performing particularly well for all three tracers. From this, the authors claim that temporal meta-ROI can be used for differential diagnosis of dementia patients with all three tracers with high accuracy and can be used across tracers to define tau positivity. On to paper 3, which was published in the journal Scientific Reports. The title of this work is Combination of Automated Brain Volumetry on MRI and Quantitative Tau Deposition on THK5351 PET to Support Diagnosis of Alzheimer's Disease. The first author is Kim, last author is also Kim, and this work is from South Korea. In this paper, the authors wanted to see whether combining automated brain volumetry on MRI and quantitative measures of tau deposition using 18F THK5351 PET could help differentiate various disorders on the AD spectrum. To do this, healthy controls, patients with MCI, and patients with AD were recruited to undergo baseline structural MRI and PET imaging. The software NeuroQuant was used for automated volumetric MRI analysis and FreeSurfer software was used for the SUVR calculation from tau PET data. Volumetric analysis for the cingulate isthmus and inferior parietal lobe identified these regions as significantly discriminating AD from controls in MCI cases. The combined MRI PET model showed comparable performance to SUVR and automated volume separately in distinguishing AD from MCI, and even showed higher performance than SUVR in discriminating AD from controls. Let's dive into paper number four, written by first author Yang, last author Dutta. This work is from the US, and it's published in the Neuroimage Journal. The title is Longitudinal Predictive Modeling of Tau Progression Along the Structural Connectome. Now, considering that tau tangles follow a stereotypical progression pattern along pre-existing neural connections in AD, the current authors present an analytic graph diffusion framework for personalized predictive modeling of tau progression along the structural connectome. This model was applied to data from the Harvard Aging Brain Study and the Alzheimer's Disease Neuroimaging Initiative for validation, specifically tau 18F fluorotaspir PET data and structural connectivity maps from diffusion tensor imaging, or DTI. According to the authors, their analysis found high consistency between the predicted observed, and differential tau using region-based analysis, and suggest that their predictive model shows promise as an individualized predictive framework for AD. Still, they suggest that further research using a larger cohort is needed to validate these findings. And on to paper number five, published in the Alzheimer's and Dementia Journal. The first author is Kreisel, last author Brookman, and this work is coming to us from New York in the U.S. The title is Patterns of Tau Pathology Identified with 18F MK6240 PET Imaging. Since tau PET imaging can help us better understand in vivo spatiotemporal progression of AD, the goal of this study was to assess the suitability of tracer 18F MK6240 in identifying tau pathology in clinical samples of AD. 
Relationships between tracer binding and age, cognition, and AD biomarkers in cerebrospinal fluid were also studied. Study participants underwent various testing, including amyloid PET, tau PET, MRI, neuropsychological testing, and lumbar puncture for quantification of A-beta in the cerebrospinal fluid. That last one doesn't sound too fun to go through. The authors found that this tracer was able to approximate the hypothesized stages of AD and even correlated with CSF tau and phosphorylated tau. Age was negatively correlated with this tracer binding, so there is greater tau pathology in earlier onset AD, and domain-specific tracer binding was associated with lower performance on memory, executive, and language tests in the amyloid-positive subjects. Okay, and our final paper within the subsection, paper 6, comes from the authors Collinger and Kuhl from the Netherlands and Belgium. We also see some contribution from the U.S. here. The title is A Dual Time Window Protocol to Reduce Acquisition Time of Dynamic Tau Pet Imaging Using 18F MK6240. Similar to the last paper we just looked at, here researchers wanted to study the use of 18F MK6240 for tau quantification and assessment of AD. However, knowing that hybrid PET CT scans using this tracer have long acquisition scan times of around 120 minutes, the main goal of this paper was to reduce the overall scan time using dual time window, or DTW, acquisitions. The abstract goes into some heavy technical language to explain the details of this method, but I'll try to keep it simple. Basically, instead of running the scan for the typical 120 minutes total, they broke it up into two parts, with a 60-minute break in between two 30-minute scans. They found that using this new DTW protocol showed similar results as the standard protocol and did not negatively impact the quantitative accuracy of the scan. The authors conclude that this new protocol could offer increased patient comfort while maintaining the same level of accuracy as more traditional approaches. So now that we're done all of our tau-based papers, I think it might be a good time for a short break. When we come back, we'll take a look at studies focusing on amyloid beta in the brain. Hey listeners, I'm here to let you know Aminder is recruiting. If you're interested in joining us, shoot us an email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Enjoy the rest of the episode. And welcome back. Moving right along, next up we have five papers relying on amyloid-based detection in the brain to study AD. Kicking off this subsection is paper number 7, titled Relationship between F18 fluorbetapyr uptake in occipital lobe and neurocognitive performance in Alzheimer's disease. This work is published in the Japanese Journal of Radiology, and the first author is Thien Tunyakit, last author Ishii, and this work is a collaborative effort from researchers in Thailand and Japan. As you might have guessed by the title, this project aimed to study the link between occipital amyloid PET uptake and neurocognitive performance in AD. To do so, the researchers recruited control, AD, and subjects with MCI due to AD to undergo 18F fluorbetapyr PET CT scans. Semi-quantitative analyses of these respective SCVR images for each participant group were then performed to look for differences between the cohorts and any correlations between tracer uptake and mental state examination. Interestingly enough, there is only slightly higher tracer uptake in the precuneus, parietal, and occipital association cortices in the MCI group compared to controls, while the mild AD and moderate or severe AD groups had significantly higher tracer uptake in the occipital lobes compared to controls. 
Finally, they found a strong negative correlation between mental examination scores and tracer uptake in the occipital lobe, and the authors conclude that occipital amyloid uptake is associated with clinically advanced AD and is negatively correlated with neurocognitive performance. Let's now turn to the next paper in this category, paper number 8, titled Validation of Amyloid Pet Positivity Thresholds in Centiloids, a Multi-Site Pet Study Approach. This work is published in Alzheimer's Research and Therapy and is written by first author Royce, last author Landau, from Pittsburgh in the US, as well as California, and we see a contribution also from Germany. Using 18F fluorbetaben or FBB and 18F fluorbetapir or FBP, researchers wanted to derive standardized centeloid scales and consistent thresholds for various pet tracers, considering that inconsistencies in these measures are a limitation among multi-site imaging studies. An automated image processing pipeline commonly used for pet quantification was applied to A-beta pet data from the ADNI database. SUVR to centeloid transformations were derived using this data, and a FBB positivity threshold was developed from an independent young control sample to validate the FBB threshold. It was found that the young sample threshold was consistent with the automated native space approach and resulted in similar centeloid values. The authors suggest that these findings reflect the feasibility of coordinating PET imaging across multi-site studies and that standardized scales can result in internal consistency of positivity thresholds. Paper 9 is next up and is written by first author Flanagan, last author Narendran. This work comes to us from Pittsburgh in the US. The title is Imaging Beta Amyloid Burden in the Brains of Middle-Aged Individuals with Alcohol Use Disorders, an 11C PIB PET study. This work is published in Translational Psychiatry. The potential link between AD prevalence and alcohol use disorder, or AUD, has never been studied using an in vivo human approach. To address this, the authors of this current study used Pittsburgh Compound B, or 11C PIB, to look at the relationship between AUD and brain amyloid burden in middle-aged adults compared to controls. They hypothesized that those with AUD will show greater amyloid burden. Certain markers for risk of future AD were studied, including global PIB uptake, cortical thickness, gray matter volume, and neurocognitive function. In terms of the A-beta load data, what they found was unexpected based on their hypothesis. There were no significant differences in the global A-beta positivity or subthreshold loads between controls and AUD subjects. Yet, they did see lower cortical thickness in AD-related regions as well as non-associated regions, in the AUD cohort compared to controls, as well as lower gray matter volume in the hippocampus and lower performance on attention and memory tests. Overall, the authors suggest that A-beta accumulation may not be greater in AUD individuals, but that other neurodegenerative markers are present. Moving right along, we have paper number 10 from the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. This work is written by first author Alnqvist, last author Nordberg, and this work is coming to us from Sweden. The title is Subcortical and Cortical Regions of Amyloid Beta Pathology Measured by 11C PIB PET are Differentially Associated with Cognitive Functions and Stages of Disease in Memory Clinic Patients. The goal of this current project was to look at the effect of regional brain A-beta on various cognitive functions using a cross-sectional design. Recruited participants had either AD or MCI or were healthy controls and had previously undergone 11C PIB PET scanning 
as well as cognitive testing covering seven domains, including episodic memory, attention, and executive function, to name a few. The authors use multiple regression analyses to study this relationship, with each cognitive test acting as a dependent variable, and PIB PET data in 13 distinct brain regions serving as the independent variable being studied. I won't go into the details of their findings here, but they did suggest finding significant results for each cognitive test, in particular for tests of episodic memory in the putamen, visuospatially demanding tests in the occipital lobe, semantic fluency in the parietal lobe, attention in the posterior cingulate gyrus, and executive function in the nucleus accumbens. Be sure to check out the full paper in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease to learn more. So we've reached the final paper in this A-beta subsection, paper 11, titled Effective Different Examination Conditions on Image Quality and Quantitative Value of Amyloid Positron Emission Tomography Using 18F Flutometamol. This work is published in the Annals of Nuclear Medicine and is written by first author Otani, last author Miyoshi, from Japan. Here, researchers wanted to look at the different image acquisition conditions on amyloid PET quality, diagnostic ability, and quantitative value using the Tracer 18F flutometamol, considering the discrepancy between recommended start time and acquisition time for this type of imaging. Using a PET CT scanner and phantoms, which are simply objects placed in the scanner to look at imaging performance, they scanned with this tracer and reconstructed the PET images into 10, 20, and 30 minute periods for comparison. Then, Imaging data from several symptomatic patients, including AD patients, were reconstructed using the phantom image conditions to be able to assess the image quality and diagnostic ability using the various acquisition conditions. The data showed no significant differences in image quality and diagnostic ability among the different acquisition times. However, tracer uptake did show significant fluctuation depending on the acquisition period in AD patients, according to the authors. Let's now move on and take a look at a paper that combines A-beta and tau-based detection in the brain. We have only one paper in this episode that falls into this category, and that's paper number 12. This work is written by first author Kim, last author Sepulker. These authors are from the US, but we also see some contribution from authors in Spain. This work is published in Human Brain Mapping. The authors begin by stating a big unknown within the field of AD research. What are the specific mechanisms of A-beta and tau pathogenesis that lead to cognitive decline in older adults? Using graph theory-based PET analysis, both within and between tau and A-beta PET modalities, the current researchers tested the effects of tau and A-beta on cognition in a group of cognitively normal older adults. They mention a focus on network interdigitations of A-beta and tau deposits, which is overlapping of the networks, as well as cognitive test scores at baseline and two-year follow-up. According to the authors, they found highly significant A-beta-tau network integrations in AD vulnerable areas and significant associations between these interdigitations and general cognitive impairment at both time points. The authors suggest that their results point to a distinct interlinking network between A-beta and tau in various areas of the brain and suggest a network-based interaction between the two in precipitating cognitive decline in adults. Okay, so we've made it to the end of this episode. Our final work is under the category of other pet targets, and this is paper 13, titled Impact of TSPO Receptor Polymorphism on 18FGE180 Binding in Healthy Brain and Pseudoreference Regions of Neuro-Oncological and Neurodegenerative Disorders. This work is published in the Life Journal and comes to us from first author Vetterman, last author Brendel, 
from Germany. TSPO is a pet tracer that's sensitive to single nucleotide polymorphisms, or SNPs, mutations that cause variable tracer binding affinity. One TSPO tracer in particular, 18FGE180, has not been studied in a clinical setting, and the authors of this current paper wanted to study the impact of various SNP mutations on in vivo 18FGE180 binding in a healthy brain as well as neuro-oncological and neurodegenerative reference tissue. SUVR values were assessed using manually drawn regions of interest, and these values were compared between low, medium, and high affinity binders in four cohorts, controls, glioma, tauopathy, and 80 subjects. The SUVR values were also compared between the patients and controls within each mutation subgroup, so low, medium, and high affinity binding. They discovered lower binding in the low affinity binders group compared to the medium and high groups, and suggest that these polymorphisms do affect 18FGE180 quantification. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, each episode comes with a bibliography, which you can find in the episode notes after listening. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Curious about being a part of Aminder? Send us an email with your CV and let us know what you want to do as part of the team. No experience is required, just an interest and enthusiasm for SciComm. Thanks to the team for making this episode possible, for the entire sorting team for sorting the abstracts in this episode, Judy for reviewing my script, Anusha for reviewing my recording, Sarah for the word cloud, and Christy for uploading this episode to our new YouTube channel. Music credits go to Anusha Kamesh. You can find her on SoundCloud or on YouTube under AK Music. We hope you find this podcast useful. As always, our main goal at Aminder is to bring value to the scientific community by making publications accessible for anyone and everyone interested in staying up to date on the latest neuroscience research. We hope to have you back here soon. Bye for now.